Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 286 and the return of the executive director of the Percussive Arts Society, Joshua Simons. So, Mizzou is so close, so close to being on break. There's a couple more days until that begins, which everyone is looking forward to, myself very much included. But this past Saturday, we had our spring football game, which went quite well. Marching Mizzou was quite surprised at the winter weather that showed up for the morning rehearsal, but enjoyed the game and the performances by all of our returning members, including our finalists for the drum major spots. We're very excited at finally closing the book on our band season this week and looking forward to an exciting upcoming year. But let's get to our return to the podcast of Joshua Simons. I was able to have Joshua on the show way back in 2017, not too long after he took over the reins of PIS. Links are in the show notes for that episode. And at that time, we delved into the history of PIS, Josh's history in arts management, great movies in the 1980s, and many other fun topics along the way back then. Now, if you attend PASIC and you happen to see Joshua during the event... It's pretty much always with him walking very fast with an earpiece, a cell phone, and or a walkie-talkie in hand, trying to manage the event in real time. As we'll say in this interview, when someone asks for five minutes of time, Joshua says, I don't have it. The cool thing was that I did manage to chat with Joshua at a more relaxed atmosphere at the Midwest Band Clinic in Chicago this past December, where Joshua was there simply as an attendee. I checked in with him there to see if he'd be up for being back on, and he said he was. So I think we have a really good conversation here. This time around, we check in on the comings and goings of PAS over the past few years, the challenges of the pandemic, the running of PASIC 2020 entirely remotely and online, the return of in-person PASIC in 2021, the recent establishment of the regional days of percussion this spring, and issues of diversity, inclusion, and equity within PAS. We also get a chance to hear more about the great sports year that Los Angeles had over the summer of 2020 and into the spring of 2021 and many, many other items. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on March 10th, 2022, and it begins right now. So Joshua... Well, the last time we talked was a, was a few years back, but we were not, this was still like pre-pandemic. 2019, kind of a normal, like we a standard PASIC, I guess, you know, in terms of what we did. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great pace. It was a, it was like one of the highest uh, attended PASICs, actually. Uh, we had a lot of momentum. Yeah. And then 2020... 2020, not so much. Yeah. Not so much. And then 2021, again, I felt like, so yeah, if you can, if you can remember back to thinking of 2019, I know this, this oh, yeah. is the before times, what was your sense of how things were going? And then talk about what, what kinds of things you all had to deal with on the, on the kind of the executive side to just kind of make, make sense of the pandemic from your perspective. Yeah. So you know, we came out of, PASIC 2019 feeling really good. Uh, we had a really strong attendance in 2019. Uh, membership was starting for the first time in a long time trending up. 
you know, not a huge amount, but we definitely saw um, numbers start ticking that way. Rhythm Discovery Center actually had all-time high uh, attendance uh, in 2019. And we saw the first two months of, of 2020, I remember this very, very well, normally January and February are very light months in general in terms of anything, membership numbers, uh, rhythm, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, we're coming out of the holidays and coming out of PASIC and, you know, things are quiet in general with really everything. But our numbers were still kind of trending in a, in a real positive way. Yeah, the, the pandemic hit and we were, um, March, we were helping Music for All that weekend. They had their um, spring festival here in Indianapolis and we always help each other out, different, you know, Music for All and DCI and PIS when we can. So we were, we were helping them. You know, and I remember sitting in that in in a in an office and someone saying, you know, three months, this is going to blow by, you know, by the summer, and this is just really, you know, I'm sure like everyone else had that, and I didn't, I I, I didn't think, I actually did not think that at all. Uh, my brother actually had earlier in February actually had already who works kind of in different, so he he's a rabbi and he works with the community and deals with Congress and lots of different ways and basically was like hey there's something coming down that we all he's like start stocking up you know he's like we're going to be i was like okay you know sounds good but um but it didn't take us long to know that you know we were going to be postponing PASIC internally we we i remember my april talking to the board and basically saying this is not going away and we need to start making our plans right now and i remember one board member specifically said um, I'm, I won't name names, but it was positive, you know, and instead, instead of thinking that we're not going to have PASIC as our B, we need to think that we're not going to have PASIC as our plan A. And then if we have a PASIC in person, it'll be, that's the plan B. And it was this opposite and like, oh, let's have a plan B of not having an in-person PASIC. And it was like, no, that is no longer the A option, you know? All of a sudden, if something does go away and we're able to come back in person, great. But everyone in that room knew, yeah, this isn't going away and things are going to get worse. And we need to start planning at that moment for what to do. And I think that really helped us because we shifted. I mean, it was March 16th. We closed Rhythm Discovery Center and all staff went home. And, and you know, by so what, four or five weeks later, we were already talking like, hey, we're shifting everything. Um, and I think that really helped us because we were able to, um, you know, adjust the budget, adjust, um, you know, uh, priorities move. Hey, instead of you doing this, you're going to, you're going to do this job instead. And so we, we really took a proactive approach. Um, and I think that really helped, um, save us, um, both, uh, money, um, time, where other organizations, you know, unfortunately, you know, they've had a really hard time coming back. We kept the wheels turning, uh, which helped us get through 2020. And, you know, honestly, 2021 was in some ways was even harder than 2020. But I, I think that pulling off that, that um, successful virtual PASIC kept that community together. And that was our, our thing. Hey, we have to do something we have to keep it. And we learned so much from that, right? We actually learned wow, we had people from 31 different countries who registered for, you know, virtual basic. And we were like, why, 
you know, as terrible as the pandemic has been, we've actually learned a lot of positive um, things from it that we're able to now put into our normal PAS and PASIC programming. Let, I just to back up a sec about the yeah. kind of the, the switch. Be, yeah. um, was was enough in place in terms of the organization on the on your level to for it to for everyone's kind of um, jobs to switch to remote without it being a massive change or was there still a massive change to to make that move? No one, and I mean no one, would say that every but they were prepared for something like this. Sure. Yeah. You know, our, our jobs as as uh, people who run organizations, whether nonprofit or not, is to be able to adapt and build consensus quickly and then do it. So, you know, we didn't we didn't shift so many things, but enough because my priority was, hey, we need to keep our staff in place. We didn't want to lay people off or furlough, you know, or that, you know, we did furlough. Um, some of our younger part-time staff who work like front desk at the museum and we worked with them and, you know, and we, but we, you know, but our, our, uh, my, uh, my CFO, Nicole, you know, worked with each one of them in terms of, okay, we're going to furlough you. We're going to get you set up with the unemployment. Right. And so we helped them each around the way to make sure that, you know, because obviously the federal government had put a lot into place and we wanted to still help, you know, make sure that everyone was safe and taken care of financially. Um, you know, of course, everyone at, at PIS took, um, you know, we all took pay cuts. I don't think people realized that for more than a year, you know, um, but no one complained and no one, um, you know, slacked off. It was like, okay, you know, we're still very fortunate to have jobs and to work here. And this is, you know, and we could be in a much worse position. And so, you know, that's how we all were able to adjust the budget, but continue to, you know, uh, do the job that we needed to but you know we had people who have expertise in putting live events together who had to quickly learn how to do a virtual event and we had museum staff who deal with you know in-person programs all of a sudden now saying hey we can now spend the next year working on our our collections and getting things up you know we we finished um when after we opened the museum again i know i'm jumping ahead April of 21, but in that, in those 54 weeks that we were closed, my, the museum staff, we're about five or six years ahead of where we even thought we would be in terms of our collection management and processing and updating things because we just shifted and we invested in the staff. So we, you know, um, I think it just took a lot of uh, leadership from the board to actually say, yeah, keep going, keep it going. Don't come to a stop because once you come to a stop, it's so hard to get the, the wheels turning again. And we didn't do that. We just kept it going, kept it going, um, and then utilized every single um, asset that was available to us, whether through private foundations, uh, uh, through federal government. We, we took advantage of every single thing we could to make sure that we could keep the organization going, moving forward, breathing, living, you know, uh, and I think that really obviously helped a lot. And I we hadn't talked about this the last time I had John, but in terms of the the museum portion, you were saying like it was a, they focused on the collection on, I guess, what was what would be um, displayed like and just dis- like display or windows not or display, or? not dis- not the, everything we have that's not displayed. So if you've been to them Discovery Center, you, we have exhibits out there. But what, you know, behind the glass, we call it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the you know, and all of that essentially we, 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 we want to be 
essentially a certified, you know, from the American Association of Museums, which means it's having certain levels of collections and storage and how we, you know, tag things and how they're boxed. So things, if you used to go back there, they were sitting behind, they were just kind of sitting on shelves, hmm. which, okay, fine, which is cool to go there, but it's really not the best for, you know, preserving the history of, of percussion, right? And so now everything is in special, you know, acid-free boxes and tagged and you know where to go. And, and it's an incredible thing because our job is to preserve, uh, you know, all those things that come in. And, but they've never done, we never had the opportunity to keep catching up. It was always, oh, we have to do this, we have to do this. So we were able to stop and say, we have to do this at some point, right? Um, and, and we did. So yeah, like I said, it was, it was basically just changing what, the, what our priorities were, but people still working within their same, you know, expertise. But like I said, going back to the virtual stuff, all right, hey, we're not going to have any in-person chapter events. We're not going to have any in-person this, but hey, we're going to start all these online programs right away, right? Um, and that went really well. So we were, you know, it was about holding the community together as much as we could, you know. When you were putting on the PASIC 2020, what was the, uh, uh, how, how were you splitting up what was going to be a live event and what was going to be a pre-recorded, presented at a certain time, but pre-recorded? Yeah, pre, pre, uh, premiered. Premiered, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it came down, it came down to um, a number of factors. One was on the artist side of things. You know, um, some of it was time you know, what time they were going to be at and what their technical parts were going to be. We wanted to always, at least at a minimum, have that artist in the room. And, and that and that happened. You know, I, I remember at one point, like, I was watching something and Marco Miniman and Evelyn Glennie are having a, are having a conversation in the chat. And it was just like, what is happening? You know, like it was, you know, and Marco had, had done his earlier, Right, but wanted to be in there to answer questions. But Evelyn was like, "Oh, so and interesting how you said that." And it was just like, "What is happening? That's amazing!" You know, just like we're like watching these two, you know, amazing artists, you know, talk. Um, so it was really about uh, working with the artists who felt comfortable because we didn't want to say, "Well, only those people who have the most technological, you know, uh, uh, information and, and and knowledge can be an artist." Right? No, we want and still anyone to have the opportunity and so we could work with them we could help them record it get it edited some people were able to take care of it all by themselves panels um we re-ran some trials and you know at some point we've said no no we need to record this because the two people aren't coming through well and we still want it to be well produced and the information to get out there um but that's why having the live chat was actually really important so people still could like kind of see and talk and, and whatnot so so that's how we kind of we kind of uh, did that. We we did limit the amount of live because that took a lot of extra staff time to be able to you know you know we and and we had um, other help around the country. I remember all like the committee chairs. We had all committee chairs set up on Slack, mm -hmm. uh, monitoring different you know rooms, and it was it was it was very weird because you know normally at PASIC we can all meet together and to not be able to see anyone or, and just, you know, go back and forth and talking. It was, it was definitely pressure filled to make sure that it, it went off, um, to make sure it went off. Okay. Um, but like I said, we've learned a lot from it and, and, you know, a virtual aspect of PASIC isn't going away anytime soon. So. I, I will agree that I thought that the chat portion of, of those 
of all of those sessions was really great, particularly when it's it was a pre-recorded performance. And then the performer could, while it's going on, could actually interact with the yeah, rest. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. Here's because someone's like, because right, because oh, what are you doing here? And as opposed to waiting till the end of that segment, they can say, well, here's what I'm doing right now. Okay. And this, yeah, people can answer that as opposed to, you know, when you're at, when you're at PASIC and then there's a Q and A later, or here's what I did do. Yeah. It was, it was very cool uh, to see that, but also have some really um, to have artists that we would never get at, at, at PASIC because usually timing, you know, so we had Gavin Harrison uh, who normally can never make it to face because he's always on tour yeah. and they weren't, they weren't on tour. Right. And so he put together a special just for, you know, just for us members of the London symphony. And what I loved about it is they put this together and they were like talking. I remember them saying, Hey, thanks for having me at PASIC and, and the members and whatever. And it wasn't just like a pre-recorded session from YouTube and we threw it up there. It, they were really talking to the PAS audience. And I really appreciated that about so many of the, uh, uh, so many of the artists, you know, the Cavaliers put together a special uh, video that was just outstanding. We had, um, we were able to put together new sessions uh, to think, hey, this is an opportunity because everyone was just at home. No one was doing anything. And so people actually want to get there and create new content. Um, and it could be very specialized. And so that was really, really special. And everyone was 100% um, for it, you know, no matter where they uh where they were, I, I, uh, you know, Dave Herbert did a, a, an amazing timpani clinic. And I believe he was in Seoul at the time he had went there for a while and, and, you know, so grateful for him to, you know, to do that. And so one of my favorites was the, was Kodo who we were able to, uh, and that was live. So they got to the studio. We were able to see, uh, what it looked like, that's something that they've never really done before. They had a live rehearsal of Kodo of the, in their place, and we're watching this. Uh, that was just incredible. So, yeah, you know, we really got to see, you know, people in their environments and, and their studios and, and, and that. So, um, yeah, you know, we had to turn a negative into a positive. And I, I think we, we did that really well, which didn't help us bring into 2021. There was a lot of positive and really good momentum uh, that happened, uh, even knowing that we weren't out of the woods at all. But people were like, hey, I, I appreciate what PAS is trying to do. And, and people wanted to do more and help. And, and that, was, that, was a very good, that was a very good sign. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked, I, I agree, all those points. And the other thing I really liked was that uh, some of the, um, like either the new music or some of the performances really, I think there was, a, I remember a few that they could really do the dramatic elements and film it like it's a short film versus what would happen if it was live. And it was kind of like it added this other um, element in that would you you just wouldn't have at a basic. No, that's true. And with the new music research presents, you know, because what we, what we did was we really made sure that people who were invited, you know, in 2020 had the opportunity to come back and live in 2021 if, if they wanted to. And we essentially moved the new music research presents theme to 2021, which was percussion and, and voice. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but we still said, well, listen, a lot of like any other year at PASIC, so many people don't get the opportunity to present at PASIC. We only get, you know, we only get to take a, a, a small percentage 
And or Bonnie and Lee, who were the host that year, um, yep. you know, like, well, can't we do a short, you know, it's almost like a preview to what you're going to see next year. And was like, yeah, hundred percent, which has then led us to say, well, how come we're not doing this throughout the year with more, you know, how come we're not more people have the opportunity to be presented in some way? No, you may not get to perform at PASIC, but you, we're going to help you get your art, your, your, your resources, your name, whatever out into the world, because PAS is 365. We're not three days in November. So that all that we were able to learn from, from the pandemic and PASIC and putting this stuff together. And like you said, um, people could try new, new things as opposed to, Hey, I'm kind of stuck to this kind of box of, of the room at PASIC. So as opposed to a normal in-person PASIC where you are, you barely have time to eat or eat the restroom and people ask for five minutes and you're like, I do not have it. <laughs> what was, what was your days like? What were your days like during that virtual PASIC? Was it the same, yeah. except you were just sitting in a chair and you were just shuffling all around? The lead up to it was the most nerve wracking. Hmm. Making sure that all videos were edited correctly, the sound that we had things planned that, so it was like the two weeks prior was the most nerve wracking. Do we have all, everything kind of there? And then we, we wanted to do some live stuff. Um, the hard part about, about it for me was, and yes, as, as you, as you alluded during PASIC, it's very hard. You know, I don't, I don't sit or stand or sleep. Things were out of my control and sitting in my office watching it, you know, it's just this nerve wracking, like what happens if the, what happens if power goes out? What happens if the Wi-Fi goes out? You know, we have all these backups and everyone is there, but um, you know, we, we turned the PAS office and the museum into our production studio. We had computers and things all around. We had our conference room. We had the office. We had two parts of the museum where we had people stationed monitoring that thing at one time. So we had enough people, but it's still the just, you know, anything to, to happen. And then we had people on the back end. I can't log in. Something on my password, right? So we had people doing that as well. So once again, the shifting, you normally take care of registration on site you're doing virtual registration. You normally do programs on that. You're doing that. But it, it was just so different and so new. Uh, and then we were working with, a, a, you know, obviously a company who helped us with the platform. Um, and everyone is just in different countries, different states. And yeah, and for me, it was just this kind of sit back and hold your breath for two days. Yeah. 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 A lot of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yes. But the yes. healthiest caffeine, I guess. <laughs> Tea and coffee, definitely no bourbon during, during. <laughs> not until after day two. And then you're uh, oh yeah. Then we had a big we had a big we had a big celebration uh, yeah. once we were once everything was just then up and on demand at that point, right? Because we didn't put anything on demand until we had the hey, the two o'clock sessions are starting, and then from that point on it was you know, and, and we, you know, people loved it because they're like, hey, this year I can watch everything. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to watch this thing live at its preview time, but then I'm going to go back later and watch those two things that I didn't have a chance to see. And, and we saw our numbers were great. You know, our numbers were both the live and the, in the following month after it. So, um, yeah, it's been a while since I thought about the, 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 the virtual PASIC. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was definitely a, a, a good feat. 
You yeah, know, something that the whole organization should have been proud about. And, you know, the committees really stepped up, the committee chairs, because they really went out and, and found people who could um, do these amazing sessions, you know, symphonic committee. We had, you know, we had uh, a very international PASIC uh, that year. If you, if you remember, some of the artists, like I said, who could never make it over, we had that opportunity to, to see a lot of them. And, and they made all those connections and made, and made it work. So, you know, kudos to everyone. Uh, the whole the whole team uh all all the leaders uh to make that happen it's kind of fascinating to hear you talk about how the two weeks before was the the major stressor for for that one uh in in a more usual in-person basic what is the is is it a similar kind of two weeks before then or is it just there's only so much you can do and then when everyone's here everything just we ha- i have to make sure everything works it's definitely different for an in-person because in some ways the leading up to two weeks, we shift our priorities. Mm. So, you know, at about 10 days or so before, you know, we cut off registration um, and then you can only register on site as of like November 1st. And so we're not necessarily worried about new registration coming in, blah, blah, blah. We can say, okay, that part is done. If you haven't registered yet, you still can, but it's going to be on site in 10 days. So we don't need to check that anymore. And then we start moving to the, what do we have to move over there? What do we have to get? The final planning, right? Things are done so well, and we know how things are run here in Indianapolis, how we go from the office and rhythm over to the convention center. And when our team members come in, when the uh, uh, production crew comes in, logistics, when our AV team comes in, when our decorators come in, it's all very, you know, there's a timeline for everything. And yeah. working with the convention center year round. So, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of stress happening. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of stress happening. It's controlled chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that it's all going to be at some point. You know, usually it's you know artists. Get, you know, make you know the weather. That's always sure. the biggest one. You know, is it going to be sixty degrees and beautiful, or is it going? Are we going to have an ice storm? You know, and if we have an ice storm, is it going to be on Tuesday or is it going to be on Thursday? And how is that going to affect an artist coming in or people coming in, you know? And I think, you know, I remember 2018, I think 2017, we had one. So, but this past year was, you know, cold and clear and beautiful. It was fine. It w- was it weird? I'm curious with, with the, the virtual PASIC 2020, when it was done, did it fit? Cause you, I would assume that when an in-person is done, like all of your staff is around and it's like, kind of like really exciting, but, but for 2020, was it kind of like, you're like just walking around, like, 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 look at who's here to who's here to celebrate, or were, were people like actually available? Yeah, I actually all the staff was in the office. Okay, yeah, we were all in the office, and so we did. You know, we celebrated in in the you know, and we limited. That's why we had all the uh, the different spaces set up, so we only had like three or four people within one area because we're still talking November twenty twenty. There's yeah. no vaccine, right? Right. There's no vaccine yet. Um, and, uh, you know, and many of us on, uh, you know, half of us on, on, on staff have, have young kids. Right. Um, you know, many of us have, have families at home. So, you know, we were all still being very, very careful. We didn't get together really until like uh, a day or two before that, you know, and we weren't in the, obviously we were also working at home, but we all decided that it, we needed to be together for that. Uh, for that time and but we were all you know stationed with people that um 
people talked on the floor with. So even still, I said it was either two or three people together in one kind of big area at a time. Um, and then we did, you know, we did celebrate it in our own, in our own way. Still, it was really good. People came together, you know, and I didn't, we didn't make anyone, if, if anyone didn't want to, you know, come in, obviously, you know, we were very open group and, and close. And if someone felt, you know, uncomfortable, you know, we were never going to make anyone come in. Yeah. Um, you know, when you have a small staff and everyone trusts each other, you know, how you're doing things at home and, you know, kind of potting you're doing with other people, everyone felt comfortable that, you know, uh, we were going to be together and be safe. Well, you had mentioned, and I would agree with this, that a lot of 2021 and getting kind of back into a somewhat of a swing of things, but very, very cautiously was harder. Um, I know it was in a lot of ways, particularly in on the, the academic side on my end with a lot of myself and a lot of colleagues. Um, what were some of the challenges you were all dealing with to be, to, to just be trying to make it sort of normal and Right. Back, we now have vaccines. But anyway, what, what was kind yeah, of some of the challenges on your end? Yeah, yeah. well, it was still early. You know, yeah. the, you know, vaccines really didn't, what, start? It's like March, I think, of that. Yeah, year. where the masses were getting, right? Yeah, I got yeah. mine in March. I know some people were getting, you know, we're getting theirs in January and February. But um, but leading up to that, it was uh, 2021 was going to be financial. Yeah. That, that was going to be the financial part. And we knew that early on. You know, we obviously, the budget was just decimated in 2020, but we had to plan for 2021 PASIC. So many people still aren't working in 2021, so we knew membership was going to be way down. Yeah. We didn't know what the federal government was going to do. You know, we get PPP1 in 2020, but we don't know about anything else. We don't, you know, we don't know if there's going to be a second round. Uh, right. We don't know how the, the, the you know, um, the foundations are going to react to another, you know, to another year. We don't know anything, right? And so it's this risk. Um, what do we do? And so that was, you know, uh, myself, my CFO, Nicole, our, uh, and then our executive committee, uh, our finance team, you know, I, I, I spoke to the, the, the board, the EC nonstop. Um, Chris Hanning, who was the president during that, you know, so um, Mike, you know, Mike Burrett took over as of January, 2021, but all of 2020 was, was Chris Hanning. And I don't know if we would have survived if it wasn't for, for Chris, he was dealing with his own, he was dealing with his own issues as Dean of Westchester, but then, you know, Chris and I would, it wouldn't matter what time I, I, I we, we would talk sometimes it would be like, Hey, are you free? And it'd be like, not till 11 o'clock at night. And it'd be like, that's fine. You know, whenever you're free and I, and I, we would talk and then, and we always had then had Mike kind of part of those because then when Mike would take over and still, you know, the three of us would talk a lot in early 2021. And then we would reach out to the rest of the executive committee as well. But sometimes we just had to quickly talk about something. Um, and they gave me a lot, you know, they gave me a lot of freedom. You know, they, you know, we build that trust together for them to say, yeah, you know, keep going, you know, and you guys are doing the right things. But we would definitely have to talk about large issues um, that that came up. But, you know, Chris doesn't get a ton of, um, I, I thanked him profusely at, at PASIC 2021. You know, he, it was kind of sad. He, he, you know, presidents of PAS, they get that moment at PASIC, right? And, and, it's, and it's an important thing. They do a lot of work behind the scenes, you know, and unfortunately, Chris didn't get that recognition for one year. 
Um, but he was just outstanding um, in his just his leadership, um, taking things, you know, understanding, you know, obviously in the academic world, saying, hey, I'm, I understand exactly what you guys are dealing with, you know, because we're dealing with this here as well. Um, and so that was really helpful. But then and Mike has been incredible, you know, since 2021 as well. Both of them just so getting back whenever I need, whenever I need to talk to either one of them. People don't realize just how much, you know, conversation I have with, with the, the president um, and executive committee at, at, at PIS. And, and they're all extremely busy people, educators, performers, you know, and they do this, you know, they're volunteers. So, you know, I get paid to do it. They're volunteers. So grateful for them, but they, they were a huge reason why PIS was, is still, you know, very successful um, and be able to get through a really challenging time. I'm thinking financially here, like are, were, were there parts where you're just like, we just have to, like, we have things that we really want to do and we have to wait. Like, yeah. because hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. We, 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 you know, but you look at everything where you're also saving a business is no different than, than professional. You know, some of us had to take pay cuts, maybe university as well. Right. But also, Hey, guess what? We weren't driving as much right? We weren't going out to eat as much. So we also saw our, yes, our income was less, but our expenses were less as too. PAS was the same way. You know, we didn't have to, you know, we weren't spending nearly as much money. We weren't making as much money. So we, we were able to uh, adjust. Um, and then of course, you know, we have, like everyone else, you know, we have emergency funds, God forbid something happens, but we were able to uh, not have to use any of that because we were able to, like I said, utilize the federal government, you know, uh, the, the grant world, since, you know, since I've got, since I you know, started 2016, you know, the, the foundation and grants uh, development that um, we've done, I'm, I'm very proud of, of that with the team to basically say, hey, we're going to do this. And our relationship with many foundations in town, we're able to, you know, get emergency funds. You know, they knew, the philanthropic community knew that nonprofits were struggling and came to the aid to make sure that, you know, doors can remain open. And then when we reopened our doors, that we had the, the money to do that because there was a whole bunch of new costs, right? We had, all of a sudden we have all new signs and clean stuff and technology to, you know, all these new things where maybe a, a for-profit company or even an educational institution has the funds to do it, but a nonprofit, we run very thin, but to have all this new, uh, uh, you know, these new programs or these, this, this, this new um, supplies to have to get it was, a, it was a huge amount of dollars to have to take from somewhere else. And so they, they came to our aid, which was really helpful, but that was, but it still was a, a huge risk because yeah, the finance of our training, we don't know, we don't know if we're going to be able to do a, a PASIC in person. And yeah, PASIC is a huge um, expense, but we also make you know, a lot of money uh, during PASIC for the organization, which helps offset a lot of other programs. And we just didn't know at what level. We knew it was going to be less. And so we, we definitely budget, you know, everything was less. In the end, we ended up, you know, um, we ended up doing, you know, thank goodness. Um, everything just kind of worked itself out. Um, we decided that it was more important to have a PASIC than to worry about the money. You can always borrow money. You can always that, but you can't, you can't get that time back. And so that's why, you know, we had the special $60. We wanted to, to take away every obstacle, but we wanted people to know they could come back, be safe, 
Um, I was very worried that if we didn't have a second PASIC in a, two years in a row in person, that it would be very detrimental to the organization. And so it was most important that we do something. We had to do something. Um, and so that's why we put into place as much as we could, make it as cheap as possible to come, uh, put in the vaccine um, mandate, uh, and, um, and also the, there was not a surge at the time. So we we got we got quite lucky. Um, yeah, that's right. If it was a if it was like what three weeks later, it or yeah yeah later, Omicron or, yeah Omicron happened right when like Midwest Clinic was happening. That's right. Yeah, and it, it didn't it didn't affect Midwest where I saw you. It, it it didn't affect that overall. You know, I think people who wanted to go out, who knew how safe they were being, they were protected. And as we're seeing now, right, a lot of people are trying to move on with their life saying, I've protected myself as much as I can. And here's where I feel most comfortable. You know, people are going to go out, but we were lucky that there wasn't at that moment uh, a, a huge surge. And, and a lot of people were, uh, were, we heard a lot of quiet people emailing us and texting us, thanking us for the vaccine mandate. And there was a lot of, you know, obviously outspoken vocal stuff from people who weren't happy with it. Um, but we're we were very happy that we that we that we made that that choice and and i i think we actually ended up getting more people than we than we wouldn't have had we not done it i i would agree on that and i also felt like um I, you know when i i remember entering the um convention hall the, on thursday morning when i when i got there and i felt and i was like i had my mask because i wasn't sure how, how the mask thing was going to go um, and that was obviously, but I mean, I was thinking like, well, I'm, I'm going to want to wear my mask and hopefully I'm not going to be alone. And then as I get in, everybody's wearing a mask, even though there is the vaccine requirement. And I was like, okay. Like, I mean, I actually like honestly exhaled like, okay, everyone is taking this as seriously as I am. And that I shouldn't have been surprised because it's, mo it's, it is so much educators who have had massive precautions throughout but I, I, I did appreciate that. I, I you know, I want to stay. So. Yeah. We, you know, we, we said, you know, the convention center, it was our, it was our choice. Right. You know, it was our choice. Um, we could do what we wanted to do. You know, we said, yes, we're going to have a vaccine mandate and we're going to require masks in our, you know, spaces. So we couldn't require them in the hallways. Sure. That's technically not art. Right. And so if you wanted to go out in the hallway and take it off, you have the opportunity then not to be around that person. Right. But we knew, Hey, if you're inside of a session or inside of a hall that you've paid to come and you want to see that you should be right. And so that's therefore, you know, we, 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 we did that. Um, and um, yeah. And it was unfortunate. We had to, you know, obviously not allow some, you know, young kids not to come, you know, that was, that was tough, you know, 12 and younger at that point were not fully vaccinated. And we had to actually tell people on site that they couldn't come in. Um, and that sucks, <laughs> you know, it's not like we like to be bad, you know, the, you know, bad people and not allow people, but we, we were, we were not, we were not, um, um, messing we're around. We're not going to budge. It. We From were, we did not, we did not budge. We really did not budge. Um, you know, there were no, there were really no, like, oh, I have this exemption or not. It was like, no, like it, you just can't come this year. You know, it was, we're really sorry, you know, and it's, it's, and I will say the staff, we took a beating, but mm. in the background by people, people are mean. And it's not like we, you know, 
it's not like we purposely went out there. You know, we had to think about that uh, decision that the organization made. Yeah, and and I and I I I get why you know um, other people you know who get beat up online stuff like that. It it was hard. You know, we got nasty emails. Just you know, and it was like you know, I just tell the staff forward them to me. I'll take care of it. You know, um, but yeah, I, I was surprised by a few some of the things that people would say yeah it definitely turned people a certain way but i you know but showing up at pace fau and seeing people you haven't seen in such a long time and wanting to be there that was like that's what made it worth it i'm curious you know because at the same time is the is bands america yeah they had their i would assume that they had their own decisions to make on that that have nothing to do with pace pas right none (laughs) Um, and it's a different side and it true. I mean, honestly, for the most part, it's a different side of the, of the complex, but it's still there if you're walking around. Well, also, you know, we, we always allow, uh, students who come into town for bands in America to come to PASIC. Right. Um, mostly for free actually. Mm -hmm. Um, and we told them all you still have, you can still do that. Um, but you have to, you have to show your, your, your vaccine. A yeah. lot of people didn't think we did that. A lot of people actually thought that we just let all the BOA kids in and like people were like coming up and yelling at us. And we were like, why are you yelling at us? They're like, well, you're just letting all these kids in. I'm like, yeah. And they are like, we had to individually check every single, I was checking vaccine cards. Like, I, I mean, at times I would, you know, fill in because we also had a shortage of volunteers this year just because people weren't. And, um, and so, yeah, everyone got checked and there were kids who would come and we would tell them, Hey, listen, this is not a, a BOA MFA policy. This is a PAS policy. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that, that, you know, they didn't get mad at, 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 at BOA, BOA yeah. and MFA because yeah. they didn't have a, um, they didn't have a, a, any policy mask or, or vaccine in in place. And that is that like, you know, yes, they're on the other side, but we were doing what we felt we needed to do because also in our enclosed environment and this and that. uh, But yeah, even those, those kids, you know, every single one of them, we definitely heard from parents whose kid like, well, my kid is getting left out. They can't come over. And I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's right. They can't. I'm really sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother. Yeah, we're coming all the way up and they have a right to come. No, they don't have a right. They don't have a right. Um, you have a right not to get a vaccine and we have a right not to let you in. So yes, exactly. you know, it's 100, 100%. Like you, you know, and also, you know, um, you know, you can't force me to get it. You're right. I can't. <laughs> 100% you know you can't come to a drum show you know like I'm really sorry one year you're not gonna be able to come to to, to you know to this there you know I love PASIC we all love PASIC it's not the end of the world if you had to miss one like let's be honest like the, the the world has a lot of problems and issues and if you don't get to come to one PASIC I think you're gonna survive you know also, they didn't appreciate. May, may not have appreciated that uh, response in the moment. I would assume. No, no, they. You know, um, I had one gentleman 
I will tell this story. I had one gentleman who, uh, on a whole, everyone who came to PASIC was very respectful, had no problem. Here's my card. Here's the Bindle app. You yeah. know, even those who didn't quite understand it were, were, you know, and we had people on site helping. And, and because we were going to be like, we we're like, I just have a picture. I just have it on my phone. I'm like, we said no. You know, we, we and it was about liability, right. right? Yes, you can show me a picture on your phone, but we decided you have to either see it in person or upload it to Bindle because that was about, you're attesting that this is correct, that right. it is now on you, right? I, I'm sure it was the right card, but it was just about liability. And we decided that's how we we're going to do it. And people were like, no, no, I get it. And it took five or 10 extra minutes. Or the people who actually took care of it in the hotel room had no problem, right? They'd be like, I just took care of it 10 minutes ago, right? Anyway, but I did have one gentleman who kind of got into line and, and for some reason it was Thursday morning and um, I had a little more time this year, speaking of time, because a lot of committee meetings took place virtually beforehand. Yes, like, like and so I didn't, <laughs> yeah. And it was like, all of a sudden I woke up and I was like, I, I don't have to be at an eight o'clock committee meeting. This is, this is fantastic. So I went to registration and, and, and something was happening. I'm like, I'll take care of the, of the, of the vaccine line. And, you know, people are just very like, you know, I'm like vaccine. Thank you. Okay. Go there. Next, next. Everyone's just very, you know, flashing their, their badges, flashing bindle. People are like, you know, I got it. Awesome. Hey, thanks for being here. And I get to the next one. It's just, it's just routine. And I'm like, hi, can I, can I see your vaccine? And all of a sudden I hear, let me see yours. And I was like, mm, no, that's not how <laughs> that's not how this works, you know. And why do I have to show it? I was like, okay. And I just was very much like, hey, you know, thank you, sir. I mean, you just have to, you know, get outline and whatever. And basically came with the intent to to do something. And I was like, you know, you you showed up the wrong time. I said because normally we have poor innocent volunteers who would have been whatever. And I said, you know, like, well, you know, well, who are you to tell me that? I'm like, well, actually I'm the executive director of PAS. So I, you, you, you unfortunately came at the wrong time. I said, and now I said, and now you're not gonna be able to come in. I said, I'm, I, and I kicked them out. Well, I, well, no, my, you know, and, and I was like, no, I said, we will refund your money. You're not coming in. Like I wasn't going to deal with it. None of us were, you know, because that person came with the intent to, be a disruptor right and we were most likely enough to deal with that person with the mask later on i was like no i said i i can refuse you to come in you know yeah. and you know i will give you well can i get my money back 100 percent. i will give you every it's not about money i'll give you every dime but you are not going to make this you're not going to ruin this for all the other thousands of people who are coming here with good intentions who want to be here, who this is a happy time to come back and, and be together. Um, and that was a big part for us to say, our, we want to make sure that we, that we, people who are there, that they, we are thankful that they have made the investment to come. You know, the companies that decided, there's a number of companies who did not come and that's okay. A number of companies. That's a yeah. number of companies. Yeah. And that's okay. That was their choice. Right. But we went over and beyond to thank those that did that did support us because they didn't have to. Um, I will say that 20, I think 2022 is going to be a really good year in the expo hall because I think a number of those companies who did not show up realized maybe they should have. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, they, they realized that those people, those companies that did come um, were getting a lot of praise and thanks, yeah. you know, for supporting, because I think when people walk into the expo hall, as a member, like yourself, you 
you know, you see the companies that are there, whether or not you buy that from that company or not, I hopefully there's a sense of thank you for supporting our our community, our organization, right? And if you're not there, it did feel, you know, I think some people did feel a sense of like, well, how come you're not supporting, you know, this organization that is, you know, here, you know, we opened up exhibitor registration for 2022. We went back to a normal, the first time since 2019, we're on this like normal um, March, April, we were getting there and, and we've had, you know, a number of companies already. Yep. We're going to be there. So yeah, yeah that, that feels good. Like we've really kind of got over that, that major hump. Well, it's it, and a couple things on that. One is that, yeah, it's, there's definitely, there's companies that like either uh, with my um, like own sponsorship stuff or with who our school uses for like, I had stuff that I was like expecting to talk to them about and they weren't there. And so I was like, well, that was disappointing. And then the other part is that this, first of all, the space was smaller, but it was still kind of nicely distant. So companies had like a, they had a little bit more breathing room. Maybe yeah, we just, gave everyone more for that. Well, we gave more people that space. So we wanted to say, hey, we still we still wanted to separate things out, right? You know, and keep that that distance. But yeah, it was and we weren't shy about saying, yeah, the expo hall was going to be smaller. Yeah. Um, but all the rooms felt very, you know, all very good and all the all the all the concerts. So yeah. um, you know, I don't blame any, you know, I had very good, you know, essentially you have good relationships with everyone who works at the organizations, right? And you know, the majority of them are making the call. And if they are making the calls for a number of reasons, and that's okay, you know, it's, you know, you, you can't hold grudges in this, in this field, you know, things are constantly uh, changing and, and there's reasons for that. Um, and that's okay. And I was like, Hey, that's fine. My whole point was, this isn't, you know, please don't make this a yearly thing. Please don't, decide this that you don't need PASIC, right? And majority of those companies who didn't exhibit still sent people to PASIC and saw firsthand that our members came out. It's that important to them. And and it reinforced this, yes, PASIC is that important show. PAS is that important organization that our members, our community are part of. And, and that's, you know, a great thing. So that will benefit us in 2022. You know, when some companies were were declining not to come for, for a variety of reasons, was one of them, and this is because a friend of mine brought it up, was one of them because of that, that there was a lot of supply chain issues in terms of, and uh, just in terms of just sending equipment over, had any of that been brought up as a, as a reason? Sure. Okay. I'm just curious because it's I mean I had it's yeah, one something uh, I hadn't like really thought about until someone brought it up and I was like, oh yeah, it is like challenging to get anything right now. Yeah. Yes, but you know, everyone had their own reason, right? Uh the reason they tell us I, I didn't worry too much about why. It was just at some moment, are you gonna be there? No, okay. You know, and that and that's fine. Sure, you know, supply was still an issue. But there were drum and keyboard companies there, and there were drum and keyboard companies not there, and there were cymbal companies there, and there were cymbal companies not there. So, yeah. like I said, everyone had their own their own reason, and I think it one hundred percent had to do with the pandemic, right. and and nothing more. And during a pandemic, you can't blame anyone for making a decision that they feels right for their company or their employees. And yeah. and and that's that. No hard feelings, no nothing. You know, we will survive. We pulled off a really good PASIC, even without you know, so much, uh, uh, so many people in, in the expo hall. 
and we can do that again if we need to. Yeah. 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 You know, it's about the, it's about the, the, it's about you and all the other educators and students who, who want to come. And we want the, we want the support of, of the, the, the industry. We want their support. We need their support. It is a, it is a partnership all, all, all the way around. So, um, you know, uh, we love them all, you know, brand agnostic mm-hmm. at PAS, uh, you know, um, so many great products, so many great people. And we hope that we are creating an event that they think is worthwhile to their organization. And, you know, we are not going anywhere. PASIC will be there. The companies will come back. Um, I think members will come back. You know, it's not like we had the the, the biggest PASIC in 2021, you know, um, but it, I think it far surpassed what most people thought it was going to be. One of the things that that's upcoming this year, which is different, is that you're there's a, a push for the for regional days of percussion. Yes. And what was the what's been kind of the what what was the push to to make that a priority? I guess they've been talking about things like this even before I got here in 2016. When we finally like in 2018 we started really thinking about our chapters. It was you know the chapter model has had it changed since the beginning mm. and you mean by that it's by state kind of that is that 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 portion of the chapter yeah model? like it, yeah it, it, you know these re, these state days of percussion and really what you know the intent was for each one of these chapters to do um and how they were run and what was successful and what wasn't and so it was just this kind of we really need to rethink you know what we're doing uh, why why we're doing it and really what each community needed did every single state every community need a little day of percussion or do or do we need to ask chapters to focus on educational initiatives getting into schools doing different clinics as opposed to putting together so much it takes so much time and energy and money to put together a day of percussion um a, a fest a day of or a day of anything whatever you want to call it yeah you know, and and the reality is sometimes there's not as much ROI for that for that mm-hmm. event. And we said, well, maybe we can help with that. We can work with industry like we do at PASIC. We can work with artists. We can work with multiple states, and we can put together these larger days, but have each chapter still focus on what's important to their community. And most of the time, what's important to their community is not putting on a day of percussion. You know, it, it, it really isn't because it's it, it, it was you it was for different reasons, but different people were putting them on. Uh, and so um, that was something that the board board of advisors, everyone really kind of talked about. And, and then we had to postpone it because of the pandemic. And it's it's kind of amazing that we're almost here. April we will have our, our first regional DOPs um, and they're going to be really good. You know, each DOP. He is a little different, but the model is over over the same. You know, we definitely still give each region and the chapter presidents and their officers the opportunity to kind of shape it a little bit. You know, uh, festival or solo ensemble competition as part of it, and but we're trying to make sure that we have, you know, how many artists and what kind of evening concerts and bringing in people. Um, people say mini PASIC. I, I don't. I don't think it is. I don't think it is a mini PASIC. What I do think it is. It's, it's, it's an example of what PAS can produce, the level that we can produce. And if you like that and you want to see something 10 times as big, then you should go to see PASIC, right? But it, it's definitely not. It is, 
a singular day with six to eight artists. Um, and I think what you're going to see is more and more um, opportunity for those who maybe can't perform at PASIC to have the opportunity to actually do a regional day percussion who are really quality artists and educators within a certain area around the country. Um, and, and then also having this opportunity for more, um, whether it's festival setting or competition setting with ensemble solo, solo and you know small ensembles, large ensembles and, and individuals. So um, we're really looking forward to that. It's been, that's been a new, obviously, endeavor uh, for staff to take on, but we just announced all the artists. We got really great um, feedback on that, uh, on each one of the three. I think they're very diverse. I think they're very, uh, both in terms of who's performing and what, um, what they're talking about. You know, I think that the days are going to be really, really solid. So, yeah. But the push was to really take away that big, event that sometimes people were putting on who didn't actually have the experience to to do you know i'm not going to start a percussion camp at rhythm discovery center and teach young students i'm not an educator anymore so some people who are full-time educators who don't have any experience putting together a day of percussion were doing so and forgetting a lot of the aspects that really make an event great really amazing you know, and so it was just about saying, hey, let us help you put these events together. That's what we do nonstop. Um, and then you guys can maybe focus on more of the solo clinic education, these other, because we still have funding for chapters to still put together these kind of smaller community specific um, uh, events throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah, we have one upcoming in Missouri in a month, kind of yes. that, you know, where, where it still follows the same kind of model that we did uh, when it was kind of like the, I guess the day of percussion yeah. kind of style, but because, because we, we, I think we had figured out a way to make it work for our state. And, and as you're saying, it sounds like not every state had, had figured out the model or they're just, it's just not, sometimes it was, it was a combined thing. I, I know like years ago we did like a Missouri, Kansas day of percussion, which was kind of a little bit unusual. Uh, anyway. Yeah. I, I kind of see where you're. Yeah, but we, we're, we're, listen, and like anything else, we're going to see how it goes for three years. And, you know, the thing about an organization is if it doesn't work, you can change it. But what we knew, the old model wasn't working anymore. You know, you put together so much time and money and energy and people, and then you get, you know, 40 people to come out. It's like, okay, at some point you do need to think about, are you really reaching your community? You know, and is this really what what they need? Um, and And that's what it was really about. Like, okay, we still want to do these kind of events throughout the year, but maybe it's more important to really do go more grassroots on the chapter, on the chapter level. Very cool. Um, you know, one thing that's also happened in the last two years has been the focus on inclusion, diversity, and equity nationally and with organizations and all that stuff. And I'm curious what you've seen with with PAS and and kind of how we we have a very we're like kind of naturally with all how percussion is so involved in in culture and community throughout the world the ways that you've seen PAS kind of work in that vein and think about those questions yeah well we are so fortunate to have a diversity alliance at PAS which started in 2016 you know, this this has not been a reaction to what we've seen in the world in the last two and three years. 
and even before that, we had, you know, from talking to so many um, members of PAS, you know, we've always had this attempt to want to diversify and make sure that people know that, you know, PAS is an organization that is welcoming for everybody. Now, I say that because we all know that that's not the case. We, PIS is no different than many other organizations that has, uh, you know, a, a history and a, and, a, and a start by most, you know, generally white men. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to, you know, whether it's in the academic world or, you know, when it started in the symphonic world. Um, and you can't get away from that history. That, that's how it started. That's who was there. What we can do is make sure that we're opening up every door today to change, you know, what the, the look and feel of the drum and percussion world is. And I think we are doing an incredible job of doing that. I think, you know, our diversity alliance, it was, you know, it was really started to spearheaded, you know, Heather Sloan and Julie Hill, and now Elizabeth De La Mater, who's kind of taking the reins. Uh, Elizabeth and I speak multiple times a week. I mean, about lots and lots of things. Um, and I think actually that group in itself is really starting to, um, even on a national level, people are taking notice. You know, they, we were asked to talk at NAM about how we started, you know, this diversity alliance, um, what the goals are, you know. What I am seeing is at every level, committee, chapter, that there is intent to make sure that when we're thinking about artists, when we're thinking about programs, that we are thinking about this. And the fact that it's, it, is, it is now a common thread, right? That people are actively thinking about, are we, are we making sure that our you know, programs are accessible? That we're making sure that, you know, that everyone is having the same opportunity to apply for something. We are, we are that, is, that is happening and, and that's really incredible. People will continue to question and, you know, uh, when things come up that they feel maybe, you know, doesn't hit the right, you know, oh, you have more numbers here than this or that. And, and that's, you know, I, I think everyone has the, the right, you know, to do that. I can tell you from inside that the narrative that the, um, the thought process is changing amongst everyone, leaders, committees, you, you name it. And I think that's a really positive sign for our organization and our, in our field. When something looks not as diverse as it could be, you know, we hear about it and that's fine. That's, you know, and right. I, I think there's a difference between actually, you know, knowing the change is there and the conversation is happening versus sometimes, you know, oh, look at there, you know, that panel of four has, you know, three white men and, 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 and uh, you know, an African-American woman, or, you know, that's still three to white. We, yeah, people still do the, the counting, which is fine, which is a hundred percent, we should, we should still take accountability. I have to look at the larger part of it. And that is, is the culture changing? And I, I, I think it is, especially at PAS, I think the culture is changing. It is not done. It will never be done. You know, right. that's the important part, right? We will continue to do that, but the culture is changing and it's changing for the better. And as you said, we're inherently already a diverse group of people, um, both in terms of 
genre, right? Style, but also um, obviously in terms of race, in terms of gender, um, and so much, and so much more. But uh, our our organization is definitely um, in in the right going the right way. You know, oddly enough, it feels like that's as much as you. I don't want to say it's not as much as you can do, but it's as much. But like in terms of at like a, realizing that that's a starting point is kind of like a key uh, idea or that it's a process. And it's it, like, as you said, it's we're not, the work is never going to be finished on this. No, no, nor should nor should it be. But if you look at um, if you look back five or 10 years ago at leadership at PAS, mm -hmm. You know, look at our board of advisors today yeah. versus our board of advisors uh, 10 years ago. I mean, look at the full list of 21 board of advisors. Yeah. Look at our board of directors. Um, look at what PASIC looked like. Mm -hmm. look, at chap look at chapter officers today. Does it still skew white men? Yes. But let's compare it. Let's compare the numbers. Let's compare the, those who want to be involved. Let's compare those, you know, who are starting younger, younger, you know, uh, students that are wanting to get involved. That's where that's where I, I see it from a from a, you know, a 30,000 foot level as things are in, improving. Um, and our job is to make sure that they continue where the people have that. I think it's that right. The accessibility. Are we making sure that PAS is set as a is accessible to everyone, you know, um, and and that has a lot to do with having that this, having that conversation. I mean, there are little things that I wish that the there there are things that I wish actually that the um, uh, the world like, for example, we have a job board at PAS. Mm -hmm. I started that because I think we actually have a we're a central region where people can come to. I still see lots and lots and lots of, of jobs in the academic world float around the internet, but never make it to PAS. Now, if, if, I'm, if I'm putting a job out there for everyone to see, and I want the most diverse, um, you know- uh, Candidate pool, yeah. You got it. Yeah. Sharing it on my Facebook page isn't gonna do that. Putting it at the organization that, you know, is the central resource for percussion education would be. So how come we can't, we can't get to that point yet? Um, now that's my job at PAS to continue to get that word out to, you know, industry, education organizations, other organizations to say, hey, you need to do a better job. And, and this is how you, PAS can help do that, right? Because we do have a very diverse pool. Um, you know, and that's where we can we can do continue to do a better job is advocating for that you know across um, not just the percussion industry, so um, it's little things. It's that it's that big accessibility part, yeah. And then like like anything else, make sure that everyone knows about opportunities, you know whether they're you know leadership opportunities or performance opportunities or you know whether they're in or outside the PAS. So and I've learned so much from just you know. Uh, speaking with, you know, obviously Elizabeth and Heather and so many members of the Diversity Alliance and, and I will continue to learn, but I am confident uh, that uh, we are, we continue to move in, in, the, in the right direction in terms of increasing our diversity, inclusion, accessibility.
I'm curious on on your level and particularly because you of your because like I know one of the things that I'm I'm sure was a challenge for you and was was something you were disappointed in is I know that you spend a lot of your time in the in the spring going to all of the organizations like their conferences and and all of that stuff that's a typical part of your spring right like you you would go to NAM you go to like the arts education and arts entrepreneurship <laughs> conferences and all that stuff yeah TMEA, um, TMEA and yeah. and yeah yeah sure and uh, so I'm curious like it, are you seeing like what what are the kinds of ideas or are they having some of those these other organizations that you visit that you're not necessarily a part of um, are they having these or these conversations still, or are they pushing? What what's what what have you seen on on that end? They're years behind us. Okay. They're having the conversations today that we had prior to me even arriving here, right? That that members of this organization were having, right? Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we have these buzzwords. We have you know these uh, uh, you know sessions. You go and there's a session about you know, DEI led by some consultant and they feel like they're, because they have this, I don't know how much work these organizations are doing at really the, the ground level, like PASs. I I don't. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, And from an organization, from an organization, I think we should can, you know, continue to challenge our organization, right? Continue to challenge. We want to be, uh, we want to be that pillar that people say, wow, look at what PAS is doing, right? Um, I, we get such a bad rap sometimes, the organ at PAS, our members, our history. And, and that's, like I said, everyone has the right to their own opinion. I can actually look and say that we are doing more good than bad today in terms of our uh, increasing um, accessibility, making sure that we are an organization that's open to everybody. Um, and we can start to see the, 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 those, num- you know, those numbers change, those numbers changing. Um, and listen, and PIS can't do it all by themselves. Sure. You know, we're one organization, you right. know, there's a number of, you know, you know, what are the, what are the, you know, what's public education doing? What's private education doing? What, what are the universities doing? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, it's not just, you know, sometimes PIS gets this rap like, well, PIS isn't doing this. Well, PIS doesn't own the, the percussion education world. You know, we are, we are a membership organization. We are there to help, you know, so we're not there to essentially set concrete, you know, uh, you know, we're not the NCAA in some ways, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of people's responsibility to continue to push, um, diversity, access, and inclusion forward within the percussion world. But if we can be a leader in that, if we can make sure there's resources and if we can be showing by example, then that's great. It's a kind of glad that you brought up like the, like if you look at the, when they post it, it's kind of interesting to watch all the old, old photos from like the 70s or 80s or 90s. And you're just like, and, and you look at it now from today's lens and you're like, nobody... Nobody who wasn't like a white man would like even looked at any of that and just been like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, this is fine, right? And the fact that today we look at it and say, no, that's not. Yeah. It's not fine. And you can't change that picture, right? Right. You can't change it. There's sometimes, sometimes obviously you do, you do, you, you continue to, you know, make sure that you 
try to right as many wrongs as possible. You know, and it's not Joshua, you know, or the board. It's PAS. It's a group. Right? It's our board of advisors that are that are voted on by the membership, right? So those 21 people represent the membership, right? And that is a very diverse group of people. And when we go to, and when they vote on our Hall of Fame members, yeah, right? Like that's not PA yet, right? That's, if you look at our Hall of Fame inductees over the last three or four years, that's a pretty diverse group of people. And it should be because there's a lot of people who haven't been inducted that that should. You know, we had Lane Redmond this year and Valerie Naranjo, yeah. uh, uh, you know, we've had Ndugu, you know, you know, pr- prior to that, you know, Ralph Hardiman, uh, Elaine. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and, and there are more and more. And and unfortunately, sometimes we still get the comments like, that's great. But there are still so many more. Well, of course, we, we can't go back and untake people out of the Hall of Fame. Right. Right. We can't go back and unmake past presidents not white men. Right, right. What we can do is start to change the narrative, change the future, honor those that need to be. And that's what this whole being open, changing, having that conversation, it being on top of mind, having a diverse board of advisors, having more, that is, that's working. That's working. And yeah. that's where I am really excited about this organization that we have done the hard things to say, yeah, our past is our past and we can, can, we can make a really great future. I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought up the, the hall of fame because I think what, where the, um, the hope is that we're not going to um, honor some of these folks. And I'm thinking of like Ndugu and Lane uh, after they've passed, after they've been passed. And yeah. that's like, now Ndugu, now Ndugu and Lane unfortunately passed way too early. Right. Right. Sure. You know, but yes, a hundred percent, the hall of fame, right. It shouldn't be a, Unfortunately, you know, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. We want people to be like, Hey, I'm in the hall of fame and enjoy it and be recognized and celebrate with, with, with our, with our, with these colleagues. So a hundred percent, you know, and sometimes that's getting past this whole idea like, Oh, well, you can't put too many people in the hall of fame because then it, it reduces the, the value of, of the hall of fame. And I'm like, that couldn't be, I don't think that could be any further from the truth. We are, we have such a, you know, I, I say sometimes, if you had one person who was, you know, marching and one person who was symphonic and one drum set and one world like that, you could have eight people in the Hall of Fame every year, but you're still only hitting one person from a, a genre, right? You know, so that's something that I do think that we need to actually think about because there are so many worthwhile people who deserve to be in our Hall of Fame who have changed the trajectory of drumming, percussion, education, performance in, in, some, in some way that's a conversation that I am having now, you know, about, you know, changing some of these things like, yeah, it worked. Maybe it worked one way, maybe it didn't even work, but we need to constantly be, be thinking about that and how we can change it and, and improve, um, you know, every, every aspect of, of PIS. So, you know, it, it's a hard conversation to have. It's still even uncomfortable for me to have, you know, it's the right conversation to have and, and we will continue to have it. So, yeah. You know, I, I remember when that that list of advisors was like I was just looking at the at who was nominated, and I was sitting there like, okay, fine. Like it, it was there was like an okay, finally moment. Like here are people that I know, but also like it was the most diverse. Even the the nominee list was like 
Miles was like, this is actually now we're starting to get be representative. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, you know, and the thing about, and I do have to tell people sometimes, right. The onus is also sometimes on our members. Yeah. Anyone, any member can nominate someone to be on, on the board of advisors, including themselves, including themselves. Yeah. Any member can nominate someone for the hall of fame. Yeah. And so it does irk me a little bit when people call us out about maybe a not diverse lineup of people when they haven't done anything to proactively get people on there or nominate themselves or right. It's at what point do you have to say, we've opened up the opportunity for anyone to write. That's our job to make it diverse, to make it accessible. And, and it, and it, and it is, it it is, you know, working. Yeah. I mean, I, I want everyone who's listening to this to go to the PAS website, to go find our board of advisors and board of directors and take a look at the representation you know, and of our staff. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that. We have a diverse staff. Yeah, I'm, I, I love working with this organization because I think we, we are, in this moment, we are, we are rising to the top, especially amongst all other music organizations, you know, and we're leading and we have a lot of work to do. But we know that and we're doing it. Like, it's not just saying, well, we haven't done anything. We have a lot of work to do. No, we have a lot of work to do and we've done a lot and we want to do that work all right i have a few more questions i wanted i have like i'm doing gonna do like an abbreviated random ass question segment oh do we want want a fake punch is that (laughs) more competitive stuff well so i want to i want to get to you a moment of joy which is that in the last few years the dodgers won the world series So I want to ask you about that. I have not, we, we, the last time we talked, it was a lot of heartache because they'd been very close for a long time and couldn't finish the, the job. Yeah. Please floor is yours. Joshua. When they won, you had those people who basically said doesn't count short in season. Right. <laughs> you didn't have any home games or road games because they were all in Texas, right? They were all in Texas. <laughs> Yeah, they were all in Texas. Short and season, right? Yeah, we had the best record in baseball, and we still had to then go on the road in Texas and beat, right? No, it counted. It was great. If your team would have won, you would have counted it. Right. Right? I, I got to celebrate it with my daughter. I remember waking up the next morning and telling her, Daddy did, said, they did it, honey. They did it. Um, yes. They, they, uh, that was, that was exciting. It was very exciting. It, it made me rethink like everyone else, you know, I was, I was 10 years old the last time they had won. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, you know, you forget actually how things like that can bring back memories, you know, nostalgia. And, uh, you know, it was, it was emotional for a little bit, you know, cause you're just like, wow. You know, that, that was really cool. I remember my mom, my mom texting me. My mom's got more into baseball, you know, just kind of a, as they got older, they, they sit in there, they, they support all their LA teams. And, mm-hmm. you know, having my mom text me, you know, we did it, you know, that that's cool. Uh, you know, that was really um, a special moment. So yeah, go Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it just had to be the thing that's weird. It's kind of well, it was weird because it was also the Lakers win. Same thing. Yeah. They're in a bubble in Orlando. In a bubble. That's right. We had a good, we had a good run there for a little bit. 
Um, we had a, we definitely had a good run. And then last year, and then here, I'm also a, my parents went to UCLA. Oh, so I, I I was born in, so I'm born and raised a a Bruin. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I went to Long Beach state and so go beach, you know, we have a really great volleyball team and the dirt bags or baseball team, but when it comes to football and basketball, you know, UCLA all the way. And I was fortunate enough to be here, uh, we're once again in a bubble, but I, I actually got to go to the final four here in Indianapolis and, uh, and, and congrats to Gonzaga. Uh, but I was, I was, I watched that half court shot go in to, in the final four that sank us, but what a run that was. I went to like three games in a row and that was very, that was very cool. So yeah, we've had a good, we've had a good sports run for a little bit. It's nice to be competitive you know, even if you don't win it at the end, obviously I know there are a lot of teams out there who, you know, you get halfway through the season and you realize, uh, you're not going to, you know, you're done, but at least to be able to continue to watch all the way up until like the end, that, that is nice. You may not win, but you, you, you're competitive the whole season and into the playoffs. Like it, it, that, it, it, it still feel good. Didn't you post a picture on Facebook of you just collapsed after the shot went in? Someone, so somebody someone, put up a picture. <laughs> someone, someone, yeah, it was, I literally, I remember it went in and I just dropped. Yeah. And, uh, and someone in the, in the box, yeah, I took, took a picture and I would just remember like, I, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah. I, it was just like, but you know, it was a magical run and, uh, and Gonzaga was a great team. And unfortunately, unfortunately for Gonzaga, I think that game, that game UCLA versus Gonzaga took everything out of Gonzaga. Yeah. And then, you know, Baylor just came in and destroyed them. And um, because that was a, that game was like what, 93 to 90 in overtime. And, it was an incredible back, It was an incredible game, you know, yes. come back. And, and, and I, I actually, had UCLA won that game, Baylor would have killed them too. Because I just think that both teams left everything on that court and were just drained. And to come back two days later, there was, they, they, they were, they had both had run out of gas. So yeah. Yeah. Very good basketball. You know, the funny thing is that I think it's possible. I know because Gonzaga went into the final game undefeated. And so there's a lot of like, is this one of the great teams? And what's what's crazy, though, is that what I don't think a lot of people realize is Baylor, I think, lost two games part mostly because half their team got COVID. <laughs> like yeah. they, they only lost games when they had a like a, a much less than full yeah. roster. And then they actually slaughtered everybody in the tournament. It turned out. Yeah, they were, yeah, they they was a good, you know, and, and but Gonzaga's good again. It'll be interesting this year, you know, and now we're back to kind of having things. And yeah, um, you know, I think UCLA's playing good. I it's not, you know, you, you, you I don't think it's when you have a, a run like that, and then you still have really good people returning, but you can never really uh, uh, copy that again, you know? So, you know, it's been fun watching their competitive team. It's fun. Like I said, and, and it's always nice when your team is competitive and fun yeah. to watch. And as opposed to, you know, going into saying, Oh, they're terrible. And you know, that's, not, that's no fun. So uh, yeah. I mean, let's hope that, you know, we get a baseball season here. I don't understand what's going on. Although, although I did say to my brother who we were complaining and I said, the only positive news is that uh, Kershaw, is a much better pitcher when there's less games to be played. So, <laughs> That's a good point. You know, if the Dodger, I mean, if this goes on a little bit longer and he gets a little more rest because there's less games to pitch, I might be okay with that. I might be okay with that. <laughs> Got to look on the bright side of things, right? You know, right. old pitcher is getting a little extra rest. Yeah, uh, it worked. It worked for us that year. So uh, there it is. 
There we go. There you go. You know, always look on. Always look on the bright side. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. The last yeah. time I we talked to each other, you I think you had said that you and another person in your office had put together a spreadsheet of '80s movies that you had other members of the organization had to watch. Yeah, like, so that you can understand. Is that still going? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're con- we constantly talk about you know old movies that. Um, so it's it's, it's uh, Justin Ramirez. Uh-huh. And uh, and then Nicole Herlovic, who's my CF, CFO, we're we're kind of in that same age bracket where you know we kind of uh, some of the, the the young our younger colleagues who you know haven't watched some of these we're always we'll make reference lines to different movies and they'll be like you know what are you talking about and yeah um, yeah I've been going through a phase of listening to uh, you know I think we talked last time I'm a huge '80s music yeah yeah fan and. Um, you know, just going back and listening to some of those soundtracks, like, man, such good, cheesy music. Like you just cannot, you cannot not like that stuff. So, you know, well, our age, we, we say that, I I think (laughs) it's a very 80s sound. We, we now know. (laughs) So good though. It's so, and there are some, there are some bands currently that are kind of bringing that sound back. It, you know, that, you know, uh, but with live music, it, it's, it's very, it is kind of cool. I, I, I have some, uh, I read somewhere that everyone over the age of 40 should have like a mentor who's like in their like late twenties, early thirties, uh, not the other way around because it, you know, they need to help us understand the music that's out there right now. And, and I do have some people who are like, Hey, you need to listen to this. And this is like, yeah, your eighties are great, but you need, but you might also like, you might also like this band today, if you like that sound. And that's been really fun to, you know, have people um, uh, send me stuff. So, Hey, if, if you're listening to this and you want to send me an email of a band who's live that I can go see live today. Cause most of the groups that are eighties, I, I can't see live anymore. Some of them, uh, you know, shoot me a note. I would love to know what band I, I should listen to today that you really think that I would enjoy if I enjoy awesome eighties music. Yeah. Yeah. This is good. So you, you need to get um, what we've been doing a lot uh, on and where I'm at is with some of my classes is, is these collaborative playlists on Spotify and that's and actually, I've the students one, in one of my classes have asked me to play from their playlist pre, pre-class, and there's a whole lot of stuff on there that I'm like, this is really good, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. It's and it's nice. I, you know, I've actually been out to a few live shows um, mm-hmm. recently, whether they have been big shows of people coming to town or um, just some local stuff here in, in, in Indy, uh, and it feels so good. It feels so good just to get out and listen to live music again and. Yeah. And, you know, and support, you know, musicians. And we've actually had some groups into Rhythm Discovery Center just supporting our, our live music and our musicians and concerts and, and hearing new music. And you just appreciate it even more. I appreciate it even more than I did pre-pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, music is so important. Live music is so important that, um, you know, it's nice. So, yeah. So I definitely get like listening to all those bands that I, I love is great, but I also want to support the bands that are playing today. Uh, yeah. So uh, I need to do a better job of, you know, hearing what the young kids are listening to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and on a related question um, is, do you have a go-to karaoke song? I do. <laughs> All right. Is it an do 80s you... artist? 
earlier than that. Oh, really? Okay. It's Copacabana by Barry Manilow. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm listening. Oh, that's about as much as you're going to get. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what's there to say? Well, Every, I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, you get a little dance, you get a little dance while you're singing. It's yeah. not the, it's not super uh, high or low. Oh, oh yeah, true. Yeah. So you got to think about these things when you do, when you're doing, when, when you're doing karaoke. Because when you do karaoke, people are still looking at you because you're the musician, right? Right. So you have to know the rhythm has to be right. You you know that even though the words are are on the line, that you understand that the first word is a pickup, right? Right, you know, it's like these little things that you are like, no, you. Her name was Lola. There's beat one. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, right. Yeah, right. So yeah, you understand you you understand flow and rhythm and everything like that. So you're just expected to be better than than everybody else. But then, you know, you can't. You got to make sure the key is right before you go in. So you have to have. Yeah, I think all good, all good um, uh, musicians will have will have uh, that. We, I was, I was. There was a karaoke thing. Uh, I was in Nashville for the League of American Orchestras conference uh, while I was still, I was working at PAS, but I was still on the board of the youth orchestra division and we went to Nashville and um, there was a colleague of mine who uh, at, um, I think she, she was in New York at one of the youth orchestras there, not New York youth, uh, but one of the, one of the youth orchestras there and phenomenal singer. And I remember like we all, uh, and uh, Keo, Keo Stroud actually took us around Nashville mm-hmm. um, and me. And so I'm like, hey, come on, come on, Youth Orchestra colleagues, we're going to go. And and uh, we went to a, a karaoke place and, you know, it, they're all singing really good. But here are these Youth Orchestra administrators, you know, walk in and, um, yeah, we sang, I sang mine. But then she got up there and just like was like professional like singer. Like she was just on fire and it was like, yeah, we know her, you know, all these like. So that was <laughs> it, it is karaoke can be fun once once in a blue once in a blue. Yeah. But I, but anyone listening here, no, I'm not going to go out and sing with you. It's not, it's not happening. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> All right. All right, Joshua, last question. Same final question I had, which is one piece of art, music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything like that, that's impacted you the most recently. Did I say last time? I don't remember. It's, it was too long ago. <laughs> If you say it again, it'll be fine. Yeah. Amanda Gorman. Mm. And her, her, her. Uh, inauguration poem. poem at the inauguration. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Obviously millions of people agree with that, but that was impactful, you know, for a number of reasons, but yeah, that, I, that moved me. And I, I, I don't want to say that I'm not a, a emotional person because I can be you know but that that like struck a chord yeah and I've gone back and read it a few times um and uh I know that our our daughter has you know has the you know print of it you know Mm. her mom got her something you know because it was that it, it really was something that um yeah moved all of us you know so many I remember texting with so many friends after that like hope like that was amazing. It, it was interesting because I actually had followed uh, her and a number of other people even before that. Mm. Uh, uh, 
you know, I know sometimes because uh, she was in the junior uh, poet laureate, you know, and, and, and EA and all that stuff. And, you know, sometimes I just follow interesting people. But um, so I'd seen a few things and knew going into it about about this person, you know. And uh, but yeah, that was that was incredible. So if you have forgotten it, go back and, and listen to her do that and buy her books because she's, yeah. you know, going to support that. And another another poets, obviously, and we always kind of go to the mainstream and end up doing that. But there's so many other incredible artists out there so yeah i'm glad i'm glad you asked me that just rethink rethink of that maybe i'll go back and listen to that again really thankful to have joshua back on the podcast again it was great to catch up with him and see how things are going particularly as it was a chance to slow down a bit and actually talk I wish him and PAS, of course, I'm still a member, the best of luck going forward, and I look forward to the ways that PAS is better able to serve its community at large. As this is Oscar season, the Oscars are this Sunday evening, I've been catching up on some of the films for Best Picture, finally, so this week's rave is the 2021 film King Richard, starring Will Smith, Anjanou Ellis, Sania Sidney, Demi Singleton, and John Bernthal, and directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. The film is a biopic about the upbringing of Venus and Serena Williams into the professional tennis world, primarily by their father, Richard Williams, played by Will Smith. Sania Sidney plays Venus Williams in her teenage years, and Demi Singleton does the same for Serena. John Bernthal plays their primary coach, Rick Maki. And Anjanou Ellis plays Oracine Williams, Venus and Serena's mother, and at the time, Richard's wife. I have to be honest, I had low expectations for this film. This had nothing to do with the subject matter, and everything to do with biopics in general, particularly of well-known figures that I've been familiar with for a lot of years. There's been a few recently that I had not been too fond of, but this one really worked for me. The real gem of the performance is by all of the actors that were used to portray Serena and Venus at their young ages. It seems clear that because Serena and Venus are also executive producers for the film, they needed to not only find actors that look like them at a young age, but could actually play tennis. And there are no cutaways. Everyone is actually playing, and the action scenes, particularly when they're starting out, are really good. Bernthal does a good job as tennis coach Rick Mackey, seemingly at wit's end throughout much, but clearly a person of important influence throughout their young lives. Will Smith is in one of his finest roles as Richard Williams, particularly the way that he adds gravitas and a world weariness to the role that is exceptional. It is widely known how unusual it was for Richard Williams to create some type of environment in a place like South Central Los Angeles not known for its tennis, for his daughters to be successful and to do so outside of an enclosed country club slash tennis academy environment that is more typical. It was also great to see the ways that he and his wife were there to both protect and support their kids throughout and provide a solid human foundation for their worlds to grow. But I'm giving a special shout out to Anjanou Ellis for her work as Oracine Williams in this movie. Her scenes, particularly those with Will Smith, 
are electric, and the back and forths between the two are amazing. As Anjanu has mentioned in interviews, Orsine has been a somewhat mysterious figure throughout the blossoming of Venus and Serena's careers, staying mostly in the background. But the movie makes clear that while it was Richard's plan, it was both Richard's and Orsine's execution of the plan as parents and coaches that made for success. And it was great to get to see some of Orsine's story in the movie. A film that is entertaining, intriguing, and inspirational. Check out King Richard, now streaming. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. This show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.